Without uh, going into more, any more details on that, let's jump into the text for this morning. We are, um, like I said, engaging or embarking on this whole uh, church plant thing. It's new for us, new territory. I mean, it's old in the sense that we've already planted three churches and that they're up and running. One is Vintage Faith and Brown's Edition. One is the Vine Community in Deer Park. One is Olive Branch Community in uh, the Garland District. And so God has already moved in those ways in the past, but this is the first time that we're ever launching two at the same time. And uh, so it's new territory for us, a new, um, new season in many ways. And I think when we move in, generally, when we move into new seasons in life, what it does is it, I think it creates a couple things. One, it creates this sense of uh, excitement. There's maybe an energy, maybe uh, a sense of wondering what, what's going to happen, what is it going to look like, how are these two churches going to form, what's going to happen to uh, the mother as she, you know, delivers two little children into the world. And so you start thinking through all of these things, and it, it causes perhaps a time where we focus a little more intensely. I don't know if that happens to you when you hit new seasons. Maybe you're heading into a new semester. I know a lot of you, this is maybe your freshman year, or you're heading into one of your most difficult semesters, and you look at your schedule, and you see all that you have to do, and you renew your focus. You just kind of buckle down and go, man, this is going to be a crazy semester, but I'm, I'm all in. Or for some of you, you're entering a phase where you're, you've just had your first child, or you've just had your fourth child, or you're, you know, and all of a sudden, man, this is a renewed focus, a renewed energy. Maybe you picked up a new job, or you get the idea. All these new seasons in life move us into a place where we tend to focus more. And I think any time that we focus on something, what we inevitably do is we begin to magnify it. We begin to bring attention to it. We kind of zoom in on it a little bit. And so these last couple of weeks, as I've been thinking about what is it that God wants us to dwell on as we head into this new season, this idea of magnification or magnifying came up quite a bit. So magnification, I looked it up in the dictionary, and basically it means to make bigger. It means to exaggerate, to make greater, to cause to seem greater or more important, to increase the apparent or actual size of an object. See, when, when you magnify something, here's what's interesting about magnification. The, the very thing that you're magnifying doesn't get any bigger, it's just your perspective of it changes, right? It's simply a change of perspective. That perspective changes when something is magnified. You see this little girl looking at a flower. The flower is not growing right in front of her very eyes, but it seems to because her perspective is different. So what are some things in life that we tend to magnify? If you were to think about the things in life you tend to magnify, what are some? Give me a couple examples. Okay? Our problems. We tend to magnify our problems. What else? Finances. Fear. 
relationships. Ourselves. Any other things we magnify? Achievements. I think you get the idea. Magnification is this perspective where we begin to focus in a little more intensely on a particular thing. A couple years back, I was um, just minding my own business, enjoying life, and I got home um, early one day, and it happened that Oprah was on. I don't watch Oprah very often, in case you're wondering. And um, Oprah was on, and she was doing this show on, um, and they were actually magnifying some things. Okay, the show was on germs. I don't know if any of you have seen that show. I don't recommend watching it because sometimes it's just better to be left in the dark. Okay, sometimes it's just better not to necessarily know what's on your counter, for example, or in your dish rag. But just in case you were curious, I brought a picture. And, and that's an example of something. I don't really know what it is, but it, most likely it's on your counter. And it, and it dwells, in, in fact, it multiplies quite greatly in your dish rag. It's something that is always there, whether you've known it or not. But when you get a magnification of a particular item, it changes your perspective. Next time you pick up the dish rag, you might look at it slightly different because there's a million of those things hanging out on it, right? Now, here's, here's what's interesting about that. Just a little side note, in case this wasn't ruining your day enough. Um, when I was watching the show, they actually said, you've seen this happen before, where a mom will pick up that dish rag, right? Her kid just got done eating, and she'll clean off his mouth, or her mouth, and just make sure all the germs are off, right? Getting rid of everything that's there. It's actually probably cleaner if you just go and eat lunch off your toilet seat than it is to wipe your mouth afterwards with that. So again, I hopefully I'm not ruining your day, but I just don't want you to be ignorant of the truth. <laughs> now, another, another one, in case that's not enough and you're going, hey, well, you know, I, I couldn't just leave it there. So this is what you sleep with. This is what's called, yeah, I know. It's called a dust mite. They actually hang out in your pillow quite a bit. Now here, again, Magnification, you can put that one away, because that one, you don't want to look at that very long. The thing about magnification, here's what's interesting. All of those things existed in your world before you saw them up close and personal. All of those things, when you go home to sleep tonight, will still be there. There's really nothing we can do about it. But simply the perspective changes your impression of it. You begin to focus on something, and suddenly it seems like Dust mites are growing. They're getting bigger. They can harm you or something. You, you get the idea that all of a sudden you take that lens and you zoom in on something and it totally changes the perspective. Totally changes the way you look at something. And we, people, we tend to magnify things. We threw out a bunch of examples and some of you hit the very ones that I sensed we needed to talk about this morning as we head into this season. We're heading into a new kind of time at New Community. And it's easy for us, easy for us, 
to begin to magnify either the situation or ourselves. We magnify the situation or we magnify ourselves. Here's what I mean. When you think about magnifying the situation, or another way of saying it is magnify the problems, magnify the circumstances, what ends up happening is you begin to zoom in on the very issue at hand, the very problem. So, let me give you a couple examples. Some of you have been kind of zooming in lately on your household income, going, man, the cost of living is going up and my paycheck is going down. This is creating red flags in my world, not really excited about it, and so we begin to magnify that particular thing. Some of you have been without a job for a little while, and that very issue begins to become magnified, and you zoom in on it, your perspective changes about it. Some other examples will be um, your schedule. Maybe you're at a time of transition. You're heading into a busy semester or a busy stage of life. Uh, for some of you, I, I know specifically, I've been praying with you, some of you are in the midst of adoption difficulties. You're wrestling with uh, the whole process, and it's just agonizing at times. And so you tend to zoom in or refocus on that particular thing. Stress in life, I mean, the loss of a loved one. We, I mean, we could go on and on and on about the very things that we tend to magnify. Uh, one of those particular things in my life right now, uh, I've told you about it a couple times and asked for prayer, is just the whole building. I didn't, like, grow up when I was little thinking, man, it would be so cool to read through lease agreements and to kind of pick through minutiae and details and this is what I've always wanted to be about and dream about and sit up late at night and read about. And so, those, you know, you begin to magnify those things simply because they're present in your world. But anytime you begin to magnify the situation, what tends to happen is those problems seem like those bugs or germs to grow. The situation isn't any different than it was maybe a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, but it just seems bigger. Why? Because our perspective has changed. Why? Because we're incredibly focused or we're magnifying it. I don't know if that happens to you, but invariably what happens when we do that is, whether we mean to or not, is we create a bigger problem and we inevitably have a smaller God. Because as the problem grows, somehow, some way, God doesn't seem to grow in the exact proportion. Another thing that we do is we, we magnify ourselves. I think it was Bart that yelled out that sometimes we just make the focus us. We make the focus our accomplishments. The things that we've been able to do, we pat ourselves on the back and go, man, look at what has happened because of me. This is good stuff, you know? As the new community enters this new, new season, it would be perhaps easy to go, you know, God is just moving in ways that are unique because not only have we been able to plant churches in the past, but God has asked us to do that again. We're in a season in which all across the world, churches are closing doors at an alarming rate. There's more people leaving the church than are coming into the church. 
there are more unemployed pastors in the United States than ever before. You hear those statistics, and then you can easily just go, well, yeah, but we're, we've got a handle on that. I mean, things are moving forward here. Or we go, oh, man, I mean, we're at a place where we are sending out more missionaries, more people, supporting more endeavors around the world than we ever have before. Again, those are things that we could simply begin to pat ourselves on the back, but both the first one, focusing or magnifying the situation or the problem, and the idea of magnifying ourselves are both me-centric. They're both us-focused. The first one creates a fear. You become so focused on the situation that what you inevitably have is fear. Fear grows. The second one, you become so focused on yourself, what you're able to accomplish, what you're going to do, what, what God is doing through you, that you begin to be prideful. You begin to think that you actually have your stuff together. And in both of those situations, the exact opposite needs to happen. And that is a focus or a magnification of who God is. When we begin to shift the church's perspective to the problems at hand or to our accomplishments, I think we lose sight of the very thing we're supposed to magnify. In fact, I would go as far as to say that if new community ever gets that focus where it becomes what we have done or what we're about or what the next thing is for new community, then I would say it's probably time to close the doors because the organization of the church, the people, is not the kind of organization it needs to be. A.W. Tozer made this statement, The business of the church is God. She is purest when most engaged with God, and she is astray just so far as she follows other interests, no matter how religious or humanitarian they may be. If in any way we begin to make new community just about who we're sending or just about what we're planting or just about what's happening in group life or just about, if any of that ever happens, then we realize that we're not being the church. We're not being who God has called us to be. So this morning, what I want to do for these next few moments is to spend time magnifying the very one we're to magnify. And so... Instead of me just talking about it, we're going to ask you to talk about it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to break the uh, congregation or the group into four groups. So this is group one, group two, group three, and then group four, okay? Group one, two, three, and four. First group, you're going to read Isaiah 40, 9 to 14. Second group, Isaiah 40, 15 to 20. Third group. Isaiah 40, 21 to 25, and then the last group, 26 to 29. Now, don't just read by yourself. We like to do things in community. So, circle up with one or two people next to you and read them. Again, 9 to 14, 15 to 20, 21 to 25, 26 to 29. And here's what you need to come up with. As you circle up, read it, talk to one another. Isaiah 40. First group, okay, 9 to 14. Second group, 15 to 20, 21 to 25, 26 to 29. 
when you circle up, read, and then talk about this. What is it that this, the Word of God is magnifying about God? So that when we gather back together in just a couple minutes, you're going to say to me, this is what God's Word through Isaiah is saying about Him and His majesty. Got it? Go. All right, we'll start with uh, group one, 9 to 14. Tell us a little something about what Isaiah is communicating about who God is. Okay, a shepherd. What else? Sovereign. Strong. Any others? Wise. See, the beautiful thing about this picture Uh, When you start to think about a wise and a sovereign and an all-knowing God, he describes him also as a shepherd. What's interesting about a shepherd is it's someone who actually takes great care over sheep. Who knows the very ins and outs of those sheep. Knows when it's time for them to eat. Knows when it's time for them to drink. This is a God who is so interested in you and your individual situation. And the Bible says very clearly that he knows the number of hairs on your very head at a given moment. I shaved last night. He knows all of them or how few you have. It doesn't matter. He's got to count and he keeps counting it over and over because he is attuned to who you are. Let's go to the second group. 15 to 20. Give us something about who God is. Really, really, really big. Too huge for words to compare to. Yeah, what else? Yeah, uncomparable. Any others stand out? Important. One more, anyone? Say it again. Kind. And this is a God that that it's almost too difficult to describe how amazing He is because you start to put words to it and you begin to recognize that, wait... Every one of these words comes up short. You ever try to express something to someone and and you're so badly trying to get your heart out and communicate what you feel or think about that individual and it just seems no matter how hard you try, you just can't find the words? That's our God. A God that can't be described. Even when you begin to describe Him in fullness, you still can't fully describe Him. Let's move to the next group. What did you come up with? 21 to 25. Okay? Unchanging. Powerful. What did you say? Powerful. Everlasting. A protector. Yeah, he, it even goes on to say that he's the creator of all things. It's interesting, back in uh, verses 12, uh, this group, first group had 12. In verse 12, it talks about this idea of Him being a creator as well. So a creator in verses like 12, 13, and then here in this section around verse 22, there's this idea of Him being a creator as well. And what's unique about it is He describes His creation. The first thing that it says is that in the very hollow of His hand, He measures out the waters. So I did a little research. What does that mean, to measure out the waters? It basically means He's kind of like we would, lap up some water, hold it in his hand, and in my hand I could, you know, take a little sip. It would just barely quench my thirst. And the hollow of his hand says that he holds all the waters, which is approximately, if you went a mile wide by a mile long by a mile deep, 
cubic miles, there's about a million cubic miles of water. Mile by mile by mile by mile. You get the idea, right? That's a lot of water. And it says it's just in the hollow of his hand, just sitting there. Or that it says that he measures the heavens with the span of his fingers, from little pinky to thumb, which I don't even know. It's probably like eight or nine inches if you got big hands. So this, and he just is kind of like eyeballing the universe with that. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I can barely palm a basketball. I don't even think I can. And he's like palming everything we know, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, how do you describe that? It's unbelievable. I mean, there's, in, in verse 22, it talks about the fact that he, he knows the whole universe, that he, he's able to measure it, that he is the one that created it. I, I did a little research on this idea of, because uh, I'm horrible at math, and so anytime you throw like a number out, I'm like, I don't understand, so somebody's got to explain it to me. Someone said that the earth to the sun is how many miles? Anyone know? Right there, 93 million, right? Right. Now, what's interesting is this. Someone did a little research and said, this is an index card, that if you made this index card equal, the thickness of it, equal to 93 million miles, okay? 93 million miles, this represents, the thickness represents from the earth to the sun, okay? So 93 million miles, 93 million miles, another 93 million miles, another 93 million miles. Well, the distance from us to the nearest star, if you start doing that, is index cards. I think it's 71 feet high. So this is the thickness of 10 index cards. This is 71 feet high. I mean, that's a ways of 93 million miles each index card. So then someone said, well, if that's the nearest star, then what is the known universe? Not, this isn't like the universe, it's just what we know of it so far, okay? If you were to measure using the same principle, it would look like this. The current known universe would be a stack of index cards and it would be miles high. Let me tell you how many miles in a minute. 93 million miles per card, go ahead. In each mile, there would be 10,400,000 of these cards in each mile. Okay? That's a lot. Now, 10,400,000 of these cards per mile, guess how many miles it would take for the known universe at 93 million per card? This many. 31 million miles. Cards stacked 31 million miles high. I, I mean, it's... Fr <laughs> I don't get it. It's making no sense to me. But what it is saying is, he's amazing. He's beyond words. I mean, here's another way to look at it. The thing that you think is so big and pressing right now to you, pales in comparison. I mean, he looks at it and goes, you're worried about that? I mean, that's nothing. That's nothing. I created this. Everything you see, everything you imagine. What about the last group, 26 to 29? 
He has everything we lack. Good. What else? Does not grow weary. Someone else. He has no equal. There's no end to him. He doesn't rest. He doesn't need sleep. We get to the end of ourselves and we fall apart. There's no end in sight. When you begin to think about who this God is that we love, this God that we serve, this God that we admire, and I don't know how we can't but be amazed. So instead of us focusing on the very problem and magnifying it, or instead of us turning that magnifying glass around and focusing on us and making us bigger, I think as we head into this new season, the thing that needs to be magnified more and more and more is Him. And in fact, we're going to move into communion, and we're just going to wrap up with the time where we go to the Lord's table, and we are reminded of His goodness to us. It's going to be one table there, one table there, and a table in the back. But here's what I want us to do as Tyler and Maureen come. I want to start us in prayer. And I'm just going to start off by saying, God, I, I, I'm amazed by you and here's why. And then in the silence for about a minute, I just want you to fill in more of that prayer. Like, God, I'm amazed by this or this quality or this characteristic or this is who you are and you amaze me. And we'll take a minute to do that and then we're going to sing a song and just kind of wrap up this morning